an official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hey, Dan. Brian Enton, thank you. That does it for us tonight. Banfield starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Banfield. We are continuing with our breaking news coverage somewhere out there in southern Maine. There is a very dangerous person who is still lurking, and we are now 24 hours past the point where that man is suspected to have just unleashed his lead holy hell on as many people as he could at a bowling alley, and then a quick trip over to a restaurant, same scene, same carnage. And now, this is the scene. We have no idea where this guy is. So if you live in that area or you know someone who lives in that area, it is a problem because they may be in grave danger. It's absolutely remarkable that this many hours later, we have no idea where a dangerous murderer, mass murderer is. Let me give you some of the latest what we do know at this point. In Lewiston, Maine, 18 are dead, 13 are injured. That much we know. But because there are so many people still in the hospital and critical, because that is the situation, we don't know if that death toll will rise. Not only that, I wanted to let you know what the FBI thought at one point was happening. I want you to see what they thought was happening at the residence of the cards. Many of the cards live on a compound and the specific um, suspect, Robert Card, has a home that seems to be abandoned. It is a very strange circumstance, folks, because at one point today, there was such a fear that Robert Card was in that abandoned home. They surrounded it, but then they left. And then there was some kind of information they got that brought them back. And when they came back, when they came back, they decided they saw something, perhaps movement inside, and they brought in SWAT units and multiple law enforcement vehicles. They brought in an armored personnel carrier with a battering ram on the front and one of those devices that can pierce the outside of a home and inject gas. That's what they thought. And so among all that frenzy, this is what all of the reporters could hear over the bullhorn as the FBI tried to announce that if Robert Card were still inside that home, it was high time he came out. Take a listen. Hopefully... <laughs> If you could hear it, he said, put your hands in the air and walk to the front of the driveway. They've said, Robert, we know you're inside. Come out with your hands up with nothing in your hands. Uh, we're doing it in this manner for our safety and everyone else. We need 
we are trying to protect your safety and everyone's else. We don't want anyone else to get hurt is what they're saying. Pretty remarkable that that is what was happening outside the house. An actual announcement saying, Robert, come out with your hands up. You're under arrest. Come out with nothing in your hands. We don't want anyone else to get hurt. We know this could be intimidating for you, but we need you to come out and follow our instructions and commands and walk towards the front of the truck. What was fascinating is that by 7.30 p.m. Eastern time tonight, that went silent. The bullhorn went silent. And then suddenly, all of these enormous law enforcement personnel just started to draw down. Bizarre. Law enforcement started pulling out. Not all of them, mind you. That home still has law enforcement at it, and they told us we needed to leave. We can no longer show you the live shot at that home. They said, leave. It's over. But it wasn't. The spotlight was still up on the house, and law enforcement was still there. Whether that means they are waiting for a safer time during daylight to exact any kind of operation or a dynamic entry in that home, they did not do that to our knowledge. Nobody saw a battering ram going through that home. Nobody saw a gas injector going through that home. But there is still law enforcement there. Regardless, what we know is that Robert Card is not in custody tonight. And roughly 28 hours after... 18 people were murdered in cold blood. We don't know where the killer is. Could he be needing supplies or food or water or transportation or a place to sleep? Coming to a place near you. This is the circumstance that this community finds itself in right now. This is the problem. It was hard to see a lot of what was going on, but News Nation got an exclusive today because we actually arrived on the scene just moments before the police pulled out. And our crew on the scene was able to get uh, some of the scene as they were coming in with choppers overhead. And I wanted to play that for you. Take a look. long after that scene that more law enforcement vehicles showed up and then said to the press, and there were very few of us there at that point, move out of the way and make way for ambulances. Ambulances. So this has been a very confusing scene all day today, but this is how it's ended. It hasn't. There is still law enforcement at that home, and Robert Card is still out there somewhere. Somewhere. Woods? Home? Can't tell you that. But that makes things very nerve-wracking for the residents. In a moment, we'll be talking to one of the residents uh, who is under uh, an order to stay in his home. That's what it is like for all of these people. In the southern part of the state of Maine, they are being told, lockdown. The restaurants have all been closed. The businesses have all been closed. People aren't even walking around on the streets right now because there is someone out there with an AK-styled assault weapon, you know, an AR-15, who had no compunction when going into two 
crowded venues and opening fire and taking innocent lives, many he didn't know, many of them kids. We are told that many of the people at the bowling alley, about 75 people or so, were kids. Between the ages of, um, I think, 5 and 17 or something like that. I mean, it's just appalling to think this could have happened. These were the pictures we showed you last night. I want to go to Evan Lambert right now, who's standing by live. He's our News Nation correspondent in Lewiston. He's actually outside of the Central Maine uh, Medical Center. So much has happened, and it's been so convoluted, Evan, that we still have to realize that there are a number of people who are fighting for their lives, that the death toll may go up. What is the circumstance where you are, and what else do you know about the hunt for this man tonight? Ashley, sure. So here at the hospital, we learned just a little bit earlier tonight that three of those victims are in critical condition. We don't have an age on those people. Uh, They certainly haven't been identified, but we know, as you mentioned, they are fighting for their lives tonight in this hospital. So uh, when you mentioned that 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 number uh, sadly uh, may go up, we just know that there are people that are still fighting for their lives at this hour. Uh, As far as the search is concerned, compared to where our colleagues have been and the video that you've been showing and that sound, the FBI coming over the loudspeaker, it is eerily quiet here where we are at the hospital, uh, which is just really down the road from the scene of at least one of those shootings that officials have attributed to Robert Card, the bowling alley just down the street from here. It is relatively quiet. We do see some traffic going by behind us right now, uh, but clearly a lot was going on earlier tonight when you saw SWAT teams, FBI teams, lots of Maine state police at homes associated with Robert Card in Bowdoin. Now that's just about 15 miles, 25 minutes driving from here. Somebody earlier described it as kind of the country out there. This is the city where you would come to do things. Uh, But that's where we saw the brunt of the activity tonight. And it really, as you mentioned, was confusing because our correspondent, Alex Capriello, that had been there for hours, described seeing this rush of activity, this rush of tactical activity there at that home. The FBI agents announcing over the loudspeaker, we know you're in there, Robert Card, come out. And then seeing that die down and then seeing it surge again several hours later. And it appears that most of that activity has since died down. But we know, of course, that there are law enforcement that remain in this area during the search. But as you mentioned, it sounds like they do not know where he is. Uh, One of my sources that I was talking to uh, that used to be in management at the FBI telling me that this is something that they do whether or not they really think someone is inside. This is something that they do to make sure that no one gets hurt and to really methodically rule out whether or not the person is inside. Uh, But as you mentioned, Ashley, we don't know if they actually made entry into that home, at least from what we could see, did not appear so so obviously there's something that took them away it's, from that yeah, home it's for the weird night, though I, possibly I mean, moving on to I other homes you know evan i appreciate that they said uh, we just do this as a caution for anybody when we execute a search warrant but i haven't seen any ex uh, executions lately of search warrants that were that require 
uh, a Lenko Bearcat armored vehicle with the battering ram and the gas injector that can um, inject the CS gas into a, into a home. This sounded a hell of a lot more serious than just anybody, any warrant. You know, we use this protocol for any warrant. Baloney. This was not any warrant. This was a suspected mass murderer. And uh, they had some reason to believe that he might be in there because they brought in the most heavy artillery I've seen in a very long time in any kind of short standoff. I do have one more question for you about that home. And, you know, in the, in the flurry of the reporting, Evan, obviously there is a lot of misreporting. Many news outlets were given bogus information uh, from a sheriff and from an official outlet, a city councilman, that there were 22 dead. It turned out that's not true. It was 18. So I'm just going to be careful when I bring this up as well. NBC News reported that four senior law enforcement officials told them investigators who were at that home executing that search warrant found a note and that they are currently trying to determine the meaning of that note. Has there been anything that you have heard regarding a note found at the home where all of that flurry of activity happened? So, Ashley, I saw those same reports. I personally have not been able to independently confirm that a note was found at a home associated with Robert Card. Uh, I don't believe that that's something that News Nation has been able to independently confirm at this hour. It's something that we've asked about, that we're working on, uh, but we haven't seen that confirmation just yet. Uh, but clearly we know that the FBI and other law enforcement officials have been at several homes associated with him throughout the night. Uh, now, did they leave without finding him? Was he not there when they, when they searched maybe the first time? And that's what drew them back because they had some kind of information that possibly he might be there at the later point in the night. We're still a little bit unclear on that, but the state police did say in their statement that there were multiple homes that they may be searching tonight. So some of that might continue. Uh, we just haven't seen it yet. Okay, uh, Evan Lambert, break in at any moment if you hear anything more on this developing situation, both from the hospital behind you as these critically you know, wounded patients are fighting for their lives. Um, you know, there were, huh, there were three who passed away at the medical center behind you, eight still there, five of them stable stabilized and three of them in critical condition. So Evan will continue to report from there. Meantime, I do want to give you a couple of other reports that have come in as well. Um, there were reports this was a youth bowling league last night at the Just-In-Time Bowling Center. Uh, again, about 75 people at the venue, and the witnesses said most of the kids who were there were between the ages of 7 and 18. I said 5 earlier. It's age, ages 7 to 18 years old. We have not been given any ages of the deceased. We've only been told that 7 people... Uh, at the just-in-time bowling alley were killed. Eight people at the Schmengi's Bar and Grill uh, were, were killed. If you're counting, and I'm sure at this point, in the back of your head, you are, this murder, this mass murder in Maine becomes the 10th most deadly shooting in the history of America. And when you make a top 10, you bump someone out. And the shooting that was bumped out by the death toll in Maine was the Parkland School shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. So that shooting is no longer in the top 10 because it has made way now for this mass shooting. Just putting things in perspective. I, I want to bring in Steve Yanko, if, if I can. Uh, Steve is a, a neighbor. He is um, on lockdown. He's in the Lisbon Falls area. He joined us last night and was extraordinary with his 
color and information about the boat ramp, uh, the boat launch, where Robert Card's vehicle was discovered, um, the paths that led away from it, uh, what was found upstream, the the rapids, uh, the dam that was about a mile downstream. Um, Steve, I didn't think we'd be coming back to you today without a man in custody or a shooter uh, shot dead himself, but that's not the case. He's still on the loose. What are you and your neighbors being told tonight? Uh, our, the, the state police issued another notice around 4 or 5 o'clock to extend the uh, shelter-in-place order through tomorrow morning at the earliest. So it's through the and night. When they, want everybody they say to... that, it, it, right, it means it, it's never lifted for you, correct? I mean, since, la- no. since we spoke last night, you have been yeah. sheltering, have you not? Yeah, we have been sheltering in place since last night. Have you seen any activity? I mean, you were so descriptive of the river um, that that boat launch is on, that boat dock. Um, Did you see any activity on that river today? Did you see any ground searches or any of the law enforcement um, personnel we've been seeing? Well, right after I got off the phone with you last night, a house, a couple of a place a couple of houses up from me thought they heard a noise in their backyard, so they called the police. So this street here I live on swarmed with cops, and they all had their guns out and their rifles out. And uh, from about midnight to about 2 a.m., the helicopter was right overhead circling around, and then it went off, and they did their search, and they didn't find anything. And they've been doing different – several people have called police around town all day of suspicious things they may have heard, and uh, – Police have been going from one side of town to the other, checking things out, and they just haven't found nothing yet. So, Steve, about your neighbor that heard that noise and reported it, what what kind of a noise was it? Because we have heard some reports of neighbors feeling like they had heard a single gunshot. Is that what your neighbor told you? No, they 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 just said, I didn't talk to the neighbor, but they just heard a noise in their backyard and the windows and stuff were closed, so they called the police to get the police right up there and Two police cars came right up the street, and then several more police walked up the streets with their rifles and their guns out. And then the helicopter with its spotlight started circling overhead. I expect they, that, you know, Lewiston and, and Lisbon Falls and, and Lisbon itself, these are, these are healthy and quiet and beautiful communities. And the images we're seeing on the screen right now are anything but. They look like militarized zones at this point. Have you been seeing any evidence of that in your rural area? Uh, just last night, and I did see a few. I went down towards the boat ramp, and I believe I sent you folks some pictures of it. I don't know if you got those or not. And it was a very surreal scene because there is just nobody on the streets in town. It is like a ghost town. They opened up the main highway through town, which is Route 196, around 3.30, because they had cleared most of that area and, and considered it safe to open. But there was nobody on the road, just an occasional car. There's one store open in town. All the other stores are closed, and the streets are desolate. Steve, I'm so sorry that you and your your neighbors are having to go through this, and I am wishing you um, all of the best luck that these authorities can track this man. And as I said last night, neutralize the threat any way they can. Steve, thank you, and please reach out to us if you see or hear anything. Okay, we'll do. We were hoping that they would find him at his house in Bowdoin here a couple hours ago, but that turned up as nothing, I guess. So it's going to be another night of hoping they find him soon. 
Still, they had a, a police presence and a spotlight on the front of that house. It's very odd, but uh, we're going to try to get to the bottom of that. Thanks, Steve Yanko, joining us live um, from his home, uh, you know, obviously sheltering in place in Lisbon Falls, Maine, not far from where this has all happened. just want to tell you a couple of things as well that's happened in this story. There's over 350 law enforcement personnel. They're searching not just the land, but they're also searching in the air and the sea. Because as it turns out, the Coast Guard says that they, um, they're looking for a missing 15-foot bay liner believed to be owned by Robert Card. Missing. So there is an armed Coast Guard crew out uh, now cruising and looking. They're also using fixed-wing aircraft to look for that missing 15-foot Bayliner boat. They say he may also be in possession of a jet ski. Interesting. Uh, One of the neighbors named Rick Goddard told the New York Post this. It's his stomping ground. I mean, he grew up here. He knows the area really well. He's capable of hiding for a long time if he doesn't want to be caught. And remember, he is an Army reservist. An Army reservist recently committed to a mental institution for approximately two or three weeks this summer and released. He now has eight outstanding warrants for murder because they've only done the IDs on eight bodies. So that number will undoubtedly grow. Coming up in just a moment, Robert Card's own family said something wasn't right. But how did they and how did so many other people miss these glaring blood red flags? And how could somebody described as kind hearted and quiet tear such a blistering hole through so many lives with one AR-15? We've got details on that in a moment. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So additional information that's coming in from different outlets, it's just all so distressing. And since there's been so little um, witness accounts of what happened in this mass shooting, I can tell you this. NBC's reporting that a gun was found in the vehicle, that white Subaru that was abandoned at the boat dock. Um, NBC is saying a gun was found in the vehicle belonging to Robert Card. It is unknown if it is the gun, uh, the AR-15 assault-style weapon that was uh, seen Um, as the shooter was exiting the bowling alley. Um, But that might be helpful in some way, although other neighbors have said that the Card family, Ryan Card is his brother, his father also living in that same compound area. This is how neighbors have described their their living uh, situation um, in Bowdoin, Maine. Um, Neighbors have said that they were gun fanatics, that they had lots of guns, that they were outdoorsy, um, and said as well that it was known around town to stay away from them. Now, that person has since backed off that statement, apologizing for it, but that was uttered, that those... The, the cards were known to be someone to be wary of. Maybe it was just because of the weapons. Maybe it was a political, um, you know, indeci- or uh, they, they disagreed. Maybe a disagreement. Who knows? But a couple of other things as well. Um, Kids League. It was supposedly Kids League at the just-in-time bowling alley. But one man there said he saw at least or heard at least 10 shots. There is something very, very bizarre in the timeline. I know everybody's been reporting this timeline, but I don't think anybody's sort of stopped down to think about this timeline. And I'm going to tell you something right now. 
6.56 p.m. yesterday. That is when um, 911 calls, multiple 911 calls start coming in. So 6.56 p.m. Those come in from the spare time recreation, the, the just-in-time. They have the same name. They, it's a long story, but it's the same place. So the, the bowling alley calls come into 911 at 6.56 p.m. Twelve minutes later, at 7.08 p.m., calls come into 911 from the Schmengi's Bar and Grill, where the second murder scene was. So think about this. They are four miles apart on opposite ends of town, right? Outskirts of town. Both, you've got to go through town. To get from one to the other, you've got to drive four miles. So in the span of 12 minutes from 6.56 p.m. to 7.08 p.m., this mass murderer was able to inflict the carnage he did at the bowling alley, exit the bowling alley, get in the waiting vehicle, drive four miles through town likely, go into the restaurant, and inflict that much more damage yet again. All of that happening in just 12 minutes. Think about it. Think about how fast that shooting must have been in the bowling alley and how fast that shooting must have been in the restaurant and how quick his exit must have been from both. Twelve minutes. Eighteen people. Many more in the hospital. Infinitely more affected for life. Witnesses uh, say they saw officials moving body bags out of Schmengi's Bar and Grill That was this morning. Um, Another survivor at the bowling alley said that the rifle jammed. And the fact that the rifle jammed may have saved a lot of people's lives. Why did he do it? Nobody knows yet. But there is one person who uh, says he may have a working lead at this point. It's the former deputy commissioner of intelligence and counterterrorism at the um, New York City Police. His name's John Miller. He's long been involved in counter-terror from 9-11 and beforehand. Uh, Also seasoned reporter, formerly at ABC News. He said that his sources are working a theory that Robert Card had recently broken up with his girlfriend and that his girlfriend and he used to frequent these two venues, the bowling alley and the restaurant. Again, a working theory that comes from John Miller, former Deputy Commissioner of Intelligence and Counterterror at the NYPD. Don't know if it's a working theory that's going to pan out, but that did cross um, you know, their bow this morning. Katie Card. Katie Card is Robert Card's sister-in-law, and she told the Daily Beast, he's quiet, but the most loving, hardworking, and kind person that I know. But in the past year, he's had an acute episode of mental health, and it's been a struggle. She went on to say that he recently began wearing hearing aids, that the suspect in this mass murder recently began wearing hearing aids and said he could hear people talking about him at both the bowling alley and the bar. His brother Ryan Card told CNN that the family has helped law enforcement in any way possible and that they've been urging Robert to turn himself in. I want to bring in now Chris Wecker. He's former assistant director of the FBI Criminal Investigations Unit. Chris was instrumental in capturing Eric Rudolph, the Olympic Park bomber. And Jim Maxwell is a retired FBI agent, bomb tech, and instructor on active shooter training. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Chris, I'll begin with you. What do you make of that working theory from John Miller that he may have recently broken up with a girlfriend and that they used to frequent these two venues together? Well, yeah, I know John. He worked at the Bureau as well. He was a CBS reporter for a while before he went in the Bureau as their spokesperson. He he knows the difference between rumor and fact. So I, I, I would 
take it to the bank that if he has that as, as a working theory, that means there's some information behind it. And, you know, I, I said earlier in the day that I thought this was something personal. And it, it just feels that way. Those locations uh, he was very familiar with. And I think there was some posting on one of the fa- his Facebook pages that he was a frequent bowler or hit the bowling alley fairly often. So I think it's a good working theory. And, I, you know, I think there was something that made him snap. And this could have been the thing that made him snap in addition to losing his job in addition to having friction uh, as a National Guard uh, specialist. So, you know, that's a, that's a plausible theory, Ashley. So, Jim, weigh in on this. Um, his sister-in-law said that he'd been wearing hearing aids recently and was complaining about people talking about him at both the bowling alley and the restaurant. So just add to that uh, metric. Well, it, it just reinforces uh, the... Uh, the history he has with the psychological problems this past summer. And uh, it's not unusual. Uh, anybody who's worked in law enforcement works the complaint desk. You, you deal with mentally imbalanced people all the time. And you have a lot of people say, I hear voices and people tell me to do things. So that's not, not unusual uh, when you're dealing with a mentally imbalanced person. But I will uh, go back on uh, the d- domestic aspect of this. Uh, uh, a lot of these incidents, I would say a little over 10% of them, find their roots in some sort of domestic uh, catalyst. Uh, And I I can tell you statistically, uh, more police officers are injured and killed intervening in domestics, where uh, what I mean is a a fight or a disagreement between a husband and a wife or a boyfriend and a girlfriend. So uh, Mr. Miller's theory on that is very plausible at this point. Domestic catalyst. I will keep that verbiage in mind. It sums it all up. Um, Chris Wecker and Jim Maxwell, thank you, thank you to you both. We're going to continue watching the circumstances as they play out uh, in that entire community in southern Maine. And we'll probably be tapping you for expertise again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are going to get some other news in here because for the last, whoa, I mean, 24 hours, this is all I've been covering. And there is other news, like those two Vegas teenagers, the ones facing murder for allegedly ramming a senior citizen who was just riding his bike and laughing the whole time and then videotaping it, sharing that. Well, they just committed an extraordinary crime, a sickening crime in court. Face to face with that cyclist's widow and the cyclist's daughter, they laughed. And then, for good measure, they flipped them the middle finger. Not just once, not twice, not three times. Upwards of four times. The widow and the daughter of the victim. They're reacting to it next. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When Andy Probst was rammed from behind on his morning ride out in Nevada, 6 o'clock in the morning, and died as a result of it, the two teens who were hauled in for it had been laughing and videotaping it, um, hit his ass. Prior to that, uh, they had hit another cyclist and not killed that cyclist, injured him, but not killed him. Uh, that cyclist was 72 years old. Andy Probst was 64 years old. So Andy left behind a wife named Crystal and a daughter named Taylor. And of course, they're going to be in court as the two teenagers are brought in for their hearings, right? The teenagers are 16 and 18, but the 18-year-old was 17 when this happened. Didn't matter. They're in adult court. Everybody knows in adult court, things are serious. They should be in juvie too, but they're real serious, like deadly serious in adult court. Except for that these two kids, Jesus Ayala and Jameer Keyes, decided that it was funny. And they were laughing in court. Now, I brought you this story earlier this week that they were laughing in court. And we saw the pictures of them smiling and grinning and laughing at each other and then looking at the camera. Oh, they're seeing us. And then they walked out and they actually grinned at Crystal and Taylor, the widow and the daughter, just grinning over there. But what we didn't know as they were grinning at the family members left behind, Andy Probst's wife and daughter, we didn't know that they were flipping the bird to them, too. And we didn't know that they weren't just doing it one time. They were doing it three to four times. Those two teenagers actually flipped the bird to the grieving widow and grieving daughter of their alleged murder victim. Think about that for a minute. You know, just to throw a little more salt on all of this, the lawyer, the lawyer for Jesus Ayala was chuckling along with him in court too right before the hearing got underway. So maybe that's why they thought it was okay? The bird flipping? I can't explain that at all. But I do want you to see what the reaction of Jesus Ayala was in the back of the cruiser uh, once he'd been cuffed and arrested and told what was going on. Take a look at this. You think this juvenile going to do something? I'll be on like 30 days. You might be out of juvie in 30 days and move over to an adult jail. Because that's how bad it is. It's just a hit and run, slap on the wrist. Just an effing hit and run, slap on the wrist. No, no, he actually is in adult court, charged as adults. When they had this hearing and flipped the bird to the grieving widow and the grieving daughter of Andy Probst, um, this is how Crystal and Taylor responded to what they saw. Take a look. You know, at first walking in, like with the first half of it, I was relaxed. So I was like, okay, we can just get this done, get this over with. And then they started trying to intimidate us, mad dog us, and that kind of started, I don't want to say boiling my blood, but it's like, how are you, can you sit there after taking a man's life and act like such an entitled? Honestly, like, who raised you? What did you see them doing? Um, they were flipping us off. I would say about three or four different times, they flipped us off, flipping each other off, joking around with each other, definitely not taking anything serious whatsoever. And if you look at the other inmates, all the other inmates are sitting there, tentatively listening, you know, maybe not 100% there, but they're being respectful. They really have no remorse that this is just a game to them. Like, they don't care. They really don't care if anyone else lives or dies. They don't care about themselves if they live or die. And that can just be shown through their own actions. 
a multitude of different people failed, but I think ultimately the parents on all ends. They're the ones who failed. They're the ones who, you know, weren't on top of their kids, on top of their teenagers, not actively involved in their lives, not disciplining them. Because I'm sorry, I was disciplined as a kid. I came out an exemplary um, citizen. Okay. I came out a good citizen. And you can tell that these boys did not come out as good citizens because their parents weren't there to raise them. They raised themselves. The gangs they were around raised them. Like, so... That's who really failed is the parents. We know the suspects are two teenagers, but what would be justice for them? 20 plus, 20 to life, more than life. I'm a little less empathetic than my mother. I want the death penalty. They should not be able to be behind bars. They are wasting taxpayers' money. Just honestly give them the needle and be done with it. They don't. They took a life. It's about to, damn time. It's eye for an eye. We're being too soft on these kids, and guess what? They're not kids anymore. By the time they hit 16, they damn well know what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. So they're not kids. They're young adults, and they should be treated as such. And especially in a crime this heinous, they don't even deserve to live. Give them the needle, she says. I can understand how she feels that way, and her mom too. The law, unfortunately, does not feel that way does not agree with them. You can't execute um, youth, kids under the age of 18. And that one kid is only 18 now, but was 17 at the time of the alleged crime. But when she said parental responsibility matters, that's where Dave Ehrenberg comes in. He's the state attorney for Palm Beach County in Florida. Dave, this happened on a school night. This crime spree that went on all night long, four stolen cars, hitting two cyclists, killing one of them, allegedly these two teens. Uh, It was a school night. So what about parental responsibility? Actually, this is heartbreaking. And yes, there should be parental responsibility. But this is not like the Crumbly case where they handed the kid a loaded gun. They knew that he was bonkers. This is a case where you have two kids unsupervised, raised poorly, who committed the most heinous of act and had no remorse for it. Under the law, the parents are not going to be held responsible criminally, even though a lot of us think probably they should. Yeah, real quickly, just 20 seconds left. Um, A life sentence for them would be 70-plus years at this age. Do you think they could get a life sentence for this? They could. Under the law, the Supreme Court law, you have to find uh, unique circumstances that justify it. It's not automatic for a juvenile. And no, the juveniles cannot get the death penalty, but they can get life in prison, and this would be the kind of case that would deserve it. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I feel for these, um, I feel for the mom and the sister, or the daughter rather, being flipped off in court. And I hope the judge knows that happened. I'm sure the judge will know. Uh, Dave Ehrenberg, thank you. We're racing through a lot of the news because of our breaking story tonight. We'll have you back. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. By the way, uh, my friends, if, if you want a preview of what these teenagers might be in for, you don't have to look any further than this little case I'm about to tell you. 16-year-old boy named Noah Nay from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Looks like he's about 10, but he's 16. And he just had the cell door shut behind him for the next 50 years. That's right. The judge just sentenced that kid, 16-year-old boy, to 50 years in prison. Because as part of a gang initiation, Noah shot a 5-year-old little girl in the neck while she was just playing in her yard. Child survived, but just barely. Like Ayala and Keys in Vegas, the ones who allegedly bumped that cyclist, rammed him, killed him. Nay also was 16, charged in adult court, which makes you wonder, 
if Ayala and Keyes hear about this case, would they still be laughing? Still to come, if you have been the least bit worried that the judge in the Brian Koberger case was going to ban cameras from the courtroom and take away your right to see that case play out in real time, Brian Enton has big news for you, and he is live with that next. Two big hearings uh, for Brian Koberger today, but the bigger thing was the news from one of his family members, an aunt who prefers to remain anonymous. Totally get it. Uh, She told the Sun newspaper, an aunt of Brian Koberger, she thinks Brian will be found guilty and she fears he's going to kill himself if convicted. Now, we do have sources who feel otherwise, but that's a pretty walloping piece of news from a member of Brian Koberger's family. But the two hearings, um, one of them was in secret and one of them wasn't in secret. Brian Enton is live on the ground in um, Moscow, Idaho. I got to say, the results of the not-so-private hearing was like literally music to my ears because, Brian, it was about cameras in the courtroom. Take it away. It was. It's a snowy night uh, here in in Idaho, Ashley. We weren't expecting the judge to talk about cameras today. It was about the grand jury indictment. That's what was on the docket. But the judge just randomly brought it up. He said, look, I haven't made the written uh, motion yet when it comes to cameras, a, a decision, a final decision. But I want to let you know that the cameras will get to stay. But he says he's going to have more control over the cameras. Exactly what that means, we don't know. We sense it probably means that the court is going to have their own cameras and they'll put out the feed themselves rather than using a media pool camera. But uh, the good news, as you said, is that the cameras will get to stay. Fine by me. Pool cameras are fine. I don't care what kind of camera. Just give me some kind of, uh, you know, transparency to American jurisprudence. Next question. Uh, Ann Taylor, Koberger's lawyer, wanted the indictment thrown out. Uh, Valiant effort. And the result of that is... It is not going to get thrown out, which is really not a major surprise. But it was interesting. They had this like three hour secret hearing, Ashley, inside the courthouse behind me this morning. Public was not allowed in. We were all outside. It went way over schedule. Then they let everybody in for the public hearing where they continued to talk about the grand jury uh, indictment. Uh, The defense arguing that uh, they didn't use the right language when they gave the jury instructions. Also, that there may have been a biased grand juror or several biased scroungers and there was evidence presented that shouldn't have been presented in the end the judge heard it all said he didn't agree that he was not going to throw out the indictment said they could take it up with the supreme court uh, at a later date all right well lots happening where you are and there it is the snow again it reminds us just how long it's been almost a year since the murders um brian enton excellent work as always in idaho thank you for that thanks All right, Brian is going to continue to report from there. Meantime, I rarely get to tell you this, but coming up, you're a little safer tonight because of three things that happened today. Three high-profile manhunts are over, ones that we covered extensively on this show. Three violent fugitives on the run are instead either dead or in shackles right now. We are naming names next. As the search continues for Robert Card, the fugitive in the mass murder, Lewis Maine, Lewiston, Maine, I do want you to know this. Some very, very bad men who've been featured on this show are not going to bother anybody anymore. Pedro Orgate, wanted for shooting a judge dead in his Maryland driveway after the judge had earlier given custody of his kids to their mom, 
Well, he was found dead after a week-long manhunt. His body was recovered today, about 10 miles from where he murdered Judge Andrew Wilkinson. Also, a desperate manhunt is over for John Drake Jr. He is the son of Nashville's police chief, and he was wanted for shooting two Nashville, two police officers from a neighboring town. The younger Drake, 38 years old, apparently killed himself on Tuesday night when police were closing in on him. And manhunt number three for murder suspect Christopher Haynes. This one's over too, folks. And he is the luckiest of all three of these guys tonight because he is still alive. But he is back in cuffs and behind bars tonight. And if his name is familiar, you will probably remember him as the inmate who complained of a sore ankle. And he got himself a free trip from the local jail to a hospital in the D.C. area. But then he overpowered his guard and he took off with one handcuff still attached to his hand. Seen on video with that handcuff on his hand. And after seven weeks, police found him this morning just across the Potomac River in Maryland. 